Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, Episode 5, with your hosts, Matt and Kellen. On Fire is a weekly podcast where we discuss financial independence, life hacking, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. Reviews. Right now, we have three written reviews on iTunes. I'm pretty sure we have more than three listeners who use iTunes, so nudge, nudge, hint, hint. If you're listening to this right now and haven't left us a review, I hope that the guilt from me talking right now eats away at you until you jump over to iTunes and leave us a written review and give us all the stars. All the stars. In today's episode, we interviewed Barb. Barb has yet another approach to financial independence that differs from our previous guests. She worked in banking and administrative type roles, but paid special attention to her spending. While her coworkers were spending every paycheck, she was saving her income and working on side businesses to generate additional income. It was fantastic hearing Barb talk about all the hobbies she's turned into side hustles and her various streams of income. She talked about websites that are getting over a thousand hits a day, her wedding dress importing business, her dress rental business, Airbnb, and drop shipping. But I got the feeling that's actually just the tip of the iceberg with Barb, and we'll need to get her back on to discuss how she turned so many hobbies into profitable side hustles. I think that people can underestimate the value of having multiple streams of income. Rather than leaving work for the day and going home to get some time to relax, why not use your evening to generate value in some other ways? For example, I often talk about my Kijiji or Craigslist pile that I keep in my living room, which turns my minimalism goals into another stream of income by selling things I don't want anymore. Or maybe in the evening you can do some contracting or handyman cash work and save 100% of that income. My biggest side hustle right now is my rental properties, which does a fantastic job of keeping my evenings and weekends productive. Not busy, productive. If I want to make some money, I can just go lay some flooring or paint a unit instead of paying somebody. Or if I'm looking to make it more passive and focus on another project, I can outsource it. The best side hustles can expand and contract based on your lifestyle if the right systems are put into place. Yeah, and with 2018 fast approaching, I've been thinking a lot about diversifying my income streams. Uh, I'll have a YouTube video coming out shortly on the subject, but my main income stream right now is from rental properties. And mentally, I actually kind of subdivide this into three categories because of the different profile of tenants that I have within my different properties. So I have my student rentals, B-class properties, and C-class properties. But in addition to my rental streams, I have a small drip portfolio that's earning maybe two, $300 on average a month. And I'm making about 5 to $10 a day on YouTube right now. But in 2018, I'm hoping by the end of the year to get YouTube maybe five times that. So maybe we're talking $25 to $50 a day and maybe start earning approximately $100 a month on affiliate links. I'm also hoping to start earning interest income from hard money lending and really ramp up my drip portfolio. But this intro is getting pretty long, so I'll couch that subject for another video. And let's jump into the interview with Barb. Welcome to the On Fire podcast, Barb. Barb is a parent of three daughters, two sons, and four granddaughters. She was born in England and moved to Canada when she was 22, and she moved to Ontario in November of 1977 with just three suitcases, a baby, and a strong desire to succeed. Forty years later, Barb is retired and still pursuing various business adventures, including successful Airbnb. I'll leave the rest of the story to her, so welcome to the podcast, Barb. Thank you. Yeah, welcome, Barb. And so I guess our first question, we'd just love to dive into your backstory a little more. So can you talk us through moving from England to Canada? maybe some of the challenges that you faced and uh, how you overcame them? Yes. Um, my late husband and I came to Canada, as you said, in, uh, in 1977. Um, he was a police officer in England. Oh. And um, at that time, um, police officers made less than the national average wage in England. And so we started to look at the possibility of moving 
either to Australia, which we thought was too hot, and um, or South Africa, but we didn't like apartheid. And, um, and then we thought about Canada, and it seemed a really good fit for us. And so we um, came over here to see what it was like for two weeks and loved it. Uh, went back to England and, and applied the, you know, through the official um, immigration process and received permission to come here, and there we were. As you say, three suitcases and a baby. <laughs> so back to the roots. Can, can you tell us about your background and how you came to discover the idea of financial independence, and when did you reach it? I retired about three years ago, and um, at the time we were uh, doing some Airbnb. And even when I was working, we were doing that. And my husband retired a year ago. And financial independence, uh, we're not rich, but we have saved money into our RRSPs throughout the years. And we also have a property which we are now ready to sell because we'd like to downsize. It's, um, the house is too big for us. It was great when we had uh, all our children at home, but you don't need a 2,500 square foot house. Yeah. When there are only three of you living there. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, downsizing is the thing a lot of people like to do. I think when, like, the kids move out and that kind of thing, you have, mm. yeah, you don't need a huge place to yourself no. anymore. And, and you need to free up some of the equity that's in your home. Yes, absolutely. And so you kind of touched upon it there earlier, but house hacking via Airbnb. Can you tell us more about that? And uh, how did you get involved into Airbnb originally? Um. We started doing that because um, I think we've been doing Airbnb for about six years, but a couple of years before that, uh, we worked on finishing the basement area of our home, which is a walkout basement, because my mum was in her 80s and we thought she might come over here and, and live with us, but she never did. But um, when Airbnb started, we thought that was a good idea and a way to generate some income. and. Also, it's, um, ours is set up in such a way that guests would have uh, a degree of privacy. They're not actually living in our area of the house. And the money we generated through Airbnb enabled us to uh, put in a hot tub, which guests like. And then you could charge a little bit more. And then we also put in a swimming pool uh, with the money we generated. So it was giving us some income, but we were also using it to increase the value of our property. So when you originally purchased that property, did you buy it with the idea that you're going to kind of have this granny flat or no. did you just kind of stumble into the idea? We, we, we stumbled into it because we're both uh, very open to looking at new ways of making money. And um, it seemed that the Airbnb was a good fit for us. Um, but we've been in the house for 22 years and mm. really for a lot of that time, the bedrooms were full of our own children. So... <laughs> It's actually a very common thing to, to when we talk about uh, the idea of house hacking. People, a lot of people in the financial independence community, and especially our local group, are living in a multifamily building or living in a bedroom and renting out the bedrooms, or in your case, mm -hmm. you know, the 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 uh, walkout. So we have a section on the podcast called "Just the Tip." So do you have a tip to share to, that's related to financial independence, frugality, or tips for anyone that may be starting to look at starting their own business? I, I would say that your the amount of money that you have, disposable income, does not just hinge on how much you make. It's how much you get to keep of what you make. And if you're thrifty, like going to the movies on Tuesday night and, and getting a cheaper ticket, 
or when we travel we tend to buy groceries and pack lunches so we're not eating every meal out in a restaurant there was also a great example you were kind of telling me about before we started the show barb about the your co-workers at the bank yeah um i noticed when i was working for the royal bank once that women might make back then 200 dollars a week but by the time they've paid all their um, deductions from their paycheck, they may only have $160. And if you're not careful, 160 uh, of that might go to uh, childcare. And then if you stop at the restaurant or the burger place every day on your way home from work to pick up supper, there's the other 100. Like, if you're not careful, you're working for nothing. Yeah. And so I think a slow cooker is a really great idea. <laughs> Um, it's, it's all about, it's all about experiencing much of the same things that other people get to experience, but for a lot less money, right? Right. Travel, still being able to travel, still being able to have good food, you know, yeah. see all of those things without spending as much as everybody else spends. Right. Um, my daughter and I just went to Iceland in May. Oh. We've both of us, uh, she's 20 and we both wanted to go there. So we booked the flights, but if you do a stopover in Iceland before you continue on your journey, it, you get a good deal. And I was carrying on to England and she was going to Scotland. So we had a week in Iceland and I discovered there with Airbnb or any other accommodation, um, breakfast isn't always included. It would be Airbnb, but you want to get one of the bees. So <laughs> you get the bed, but the breakfast was available. Um, you could get a little box of cornflakes and orange juice and maybe a yogurt, but that would cost you $18. Ooh. Oh, wow. So before we left, I bought a, a box of uh, granola bars for $8 for 60 granola bars <laughs> from Costco. And we took those and we had two every morning for breakfast. And we, uh, the first thing we did when we got there was go to a grocery store for some cold cuts and cheese and fruit and vegetables and things and we spent $40 and we had enough for the whole week <laughs> so we only had to buy food for one meal a day and um yeah that's a good tip yeah. that's a really awesome tip yeah you know we we enjoyed our trip as much as anybody else yeah uh, without really going overboard because Iceland actually is very expensive Right. For food and... And another one of those places that doesn't need to be expensive. There's a beautiful backcountry you can go look at, mm -hmm. you can go hiking, stay at yeah. hostels, all that. Yeah. But uh, it can be expensive. It's similar to hobbies. Like, you can do hobbies in expensive ways or inexpensive That's ways. That's right, yeah. Yes. And so, uh, I'd love to dive a bit more into your hobbies, uh, Barb. Uh, we've talked about one of your side hustles, which is Airbnb, mm -hmm. but while we're doing a little bit of research on you, we noticed you have several different businesses. So yeah. could you maybe just tell us a little bit about that and uh, how, have you always had that entrepreneurial spirit? I think I have, but I've never allowed it to blossom until I, about 12 years ago, I turned 50 and I suddenly realized that I was willing to try things that may not work and, and that didn't matter. Um, because I'd spent most of my life not trying things because uh, what would people think if they were not successful? And uh, I realised right. I reached 50 and I didn't care anymore. <laughs> and so I was telling uh, one of our kids, um, I'll give them numbers, she's number three, and I said to her that I was going to build a website to encourage travel and tourism in southern Ontario. And um, she said, but mum, you're 50, like you're starting to learn how to build a website and I'm going like yeah like what why not what, what does age have to do with it right? yeah so I built my discover southern ontario.com 
website and um, and really enjoyed it. I enjoy creative writing, I enjoy photography and I enjoyed just putting it all together on a website and, and in the first few months there might be three people a day who would find it or and then it would go up to 10 people a day and I'd be so excited and I this is the off season but I probably get 1200 people a day. Wow. So you know it, it's not too shabby and of course that generates income because I have Google ads ah. on that site and also I have decided to monetize the website by showcasing things that I like to do I, I, I make soap and so I've done little widgets for Sunnybrook soaps and what I do is I put those on various pages and when people click them it looks like a Google ad but it's not it, they click that and it goes to another page on the same website where I advertise my soaps and also Amazon ads for soaps. Ah, affiliate links. Yes. And then I do things like, um, I love doing genealogical research through, uh, through uh, Ancestry.com. I've done it researching my own family, my husband's family, various friends. And um, I charge $100 if people give me as much information as they have about their generation and their parents' generation, places of birth, uh, dates of death, anything. And I will go back six generations and as broad as I can, including all siblings in every generation. And then I charge $15 an hour after that for if they want me to continue. That's interesting. That's really cool. So again, I make the little widgets that go on various pages. If somebody clicks on that, it takes them to the same website, just a different page. I find it really neat how you talked about your like your risk aversion earlier in life, mm -hmm. and how you've gotten. You've, it sounds like you've gotten less risk averse right now. You mentioned something that, without using the word the scarcity, but like you described it perfectly, the scarcity mindset, where you're not acting in a way that I don't have enough money, therefore I can't do this. Mm. You're you're trying different things, yeah, um, and taking on that risk. And another thing I found interesting is that. You're retired, but you're clearly still working. You have oh, yeah. a whole bunch of different side hustles going on. So I can only assume you're doing it out of passion at this stage and not, not doing it because you need the money, right? Right. I think um, being retired to me doesn't mean that I can sit back and do nothing. It means that I never have to do something I don't want to do again. And so I also started a website called WeddingGownsOnline.com and I sell brand new wedding gowns that are made in China and the customer orders them on my website and will get them delivered directly to her about eight or nine weeks later. Right. And I really enjoy that. And, uh, but that's also turned into a wedding gown rental business because there's nothing in London area where women can rent a wedding dress. Mm. Men rent their tuxedos. Mm -hmm. You could rent, rent everything, the, the tie, the shoes, the suit, everything. And women end up spending four to five thousand dollars on a wedding dress and my gowns are mostly in the $300 range and that includes wow. the cost of shipping. Wow. Yeah. And for $125, a bride can rent any one of the 50 or 60 gowns that I have in my home in what used to be a guest bedroom but is now the wedding <laughs> gown shop. Sounds like you're getting your, you're just getting your money's worth out of that home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, we do. But so uh, again, retirement is, to end up doing things. My husband and I enjoy delivering meals on wheels in our community. And we do that usually once a week, but when they're stuck, we do it this week, we did three times. And um, it's just something that 
we enjoy doing. And um, this, this is retirement. This is yeah. what we love to do. That's awesome. <laughs> and so while we were checking out uh, your one website, Discover Southern Ontario, um, we noticed a section where you kind of discussed your decision to move to Canada from the mm-hmm. UK and how some people were less than supportive. And that sounds very sim- similar to the experience a lot of us have when we're discussing financial independence, retire early with, say, friends or family that have never heard of the concept before. Mm-hmm. We just wondered, could you kind of tell us a little bit more about that and kind of how you overcame those doubters, how you overcame the doubts of what you're doing, what? Yeah. Why are you doing that? You'll be back in six months. That's right. Yeah. I had people say that to me, like, why would you want to go to another country? And, and I think because I could look at our future in England and see that perhaps one day we could afford to leave the terraced house we were living in and maybe in 10 years we might be able to afford a semi-detached house somewhere it was my husband was actually the driving force from being a small child his mother told me he always loved Canada and wanted to be a Mountie he didn't didn't actually become a Mountie but he was uh, a police officer on the Timmins police force and also in St Thomas and was very happy the day we landed in this country he took a deep breath as we got off the plane and he said, I feel like I've come home. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's how strongly he felt about that's amazing. this country. Yeah, and one of his happiest days was when he became a Canadian citizenship, citizen. Wow. Yeah, it, um, he loved this country. <laughs> that's awesome. So any suggestions so, for people that maybe they want to march to their own drummer, but they're just faced with a lot of doubters or a lot of haters? Yes, don't listen to them. Um, but do your research and come to decisions on your own because moving to another country is not for everyone. There are people who wouldn't be successful. Perhaps they have strong family ties in their homeland because you do give up a lot. You give up the security mm-hmm. that living in your hometown gives you. But the plan also flies both ways. And I knew that if we were not successful in our desire to live here and settle successfully in Canada, that we could go back. But I'd also talked to people who'd done exactly that. I, I talked to a lady who had moved out to BC from England, and when I talked to her, she said they were very homesick, moved back to England, and she said we started saving money up the day we landed wow. to go back to Canada because they uh, were not happy there. Well, it's seen... At least they don't have to wonder anymore, right? They don't need to know what would happen if I did... What would have happened in my life if I did try that? Like, Mm -hmm. they can say they tried it and and it just didn't work out for them. And I think similar mindset to the idea of financial independence and wanting to retire. Like, we always talk about... Like, picture, what's the worst case scenario? And say you quit your day job and you need to... And and you're going to try and live off of your passive income that you get from your Mm -hmm. job or from rental properties. Like... What's the worst case scenario? Yeah. Worst case scenario is you go back to working a day job. Right. So your worst case scenario is you go back to what you were already doing anyway. And, and in know, this case, they could move back to their home country. They right? could, yes. And, and I think too, uh, I, I enjoy reading and sometimes something resonates with me. And somebody famous said it, so it wasn't me, that we do regret sometimes the things we do. But more people regret the things they didn't do. Yes. And um, I did not want to be one of those people who thought, um, well, I thought about going to Canada, but we didn't do it. Or yeah. you know, we, we talked about going to Australia, but uh, no, it's like... And it's so I think that there's a major lesson there for a lot of our listeners too. Um, a lot of people listen in cities from 
from Toronto, Vancouver, New York, or Los Angeles. And a lot of people complain about the cost of living. And so it sounds like the cost of living in the UK is really what drove, at least in part, your yes. decision to move. And, you know, you don't have to move across the Atlantic Ocean if you're already here. If you're living in Toronto, you only have to move a few hours to find mm -hmm. a much lower cost of living uh, situation where you probably are still going to earn similar income. It may not be quite... 100% the same income, but your cost of living is going to drastically decrease compared to the slight uh, income drop. Right. Mm -hmm. So, Barb, to get to this point that you're at in your life, it's safe to say you've developed some great money habits. Have you tried to pass along any of these money habits and knowledge to your children or your grandchildren? And are there any tips that you have for the audience? Yeah. Um, I remember telling uh, my oldest boy when he was a teenager that the, the first thing you should do when he turns 18 is start an RRSP because he probably wouldn't have been ready to get into real estate or and bitcoins didn't exist or, <laughs> so it, you know and, and actually he did and uh, when he was in his mid-20s he wanted to buy a house and didn't think he could afford it and I said but if you buy a duplex you can you can live in one unit and rent out the other and that's what he did and he was able to use the money he had in his RRSP as a down payment on the house. Yep. And I uh, did the same. Yeah. I know a few people that did. It's a great way to get started. Mm -hmm. Well, and Kellen literally did the exact same where he also bought a duplex. Yeah, a duplex right. with the home buyer's plan in Canada, pulled money out of my RRSP. And uh, pro tip, if you are in Canada and you're thinking about doing a home buyer's plan, if you're will, if you have the twenty five thousand in the account, you can withdraw that full twenty five thousand, even if you're only planning on using eight, ten, fifteen thousand toward the Is down payment. Right? You can actually pull all of it out, and then you can use that rest of that money. Maybe invest it in a second property. Maybe invest it in renovations for the property. Um, it's fully allowed. Mm, yeah, and, and <laughs> other things I I've told my kids to do if they're planning a trip. Like I like to go to England, so I buy pounds. Not necessarily when I need them, but when they're cheap. Right. Um, my purse is full of pounds right now <laughs> because I bought them when... Like, why pay, say, $2.85 for a pound uh, when you're ready to go on your trip when you could have bought them six months ago yeah. for two twenty, like $2.20. Like, why would you wait until you have to get them? Like, although most of the time I travel now, I tend to use a credit card so that... When I come back, I know exactly how much I've spent, right. which isn't always a good thing, but, uh, but I, I also, it keeps track for me and uh, paid off. But you do still need currency. Yeah. When you, when you and go. so talking about that, uh, tracking your spending, we have a reoccurring segment here called Spreadsheet Junkie. And so we're curious to know, do you track your net worth? Do you track your expenses? And if so, how do you do that? Uh, we, we do that, but not with a spreadsheet. We're very pencil and paper people. We might, um, over a, a coffee or something, sit down and uh, figure out, you know, when we sell the house, there'll be this, there's this in the RSPs, we've got money in non-registered, um, like what our net worth is, but it's, it's much less formal than a real spreadsheet. And so how long thing. have you been doing that? I think we've always done that. Uh, yeah. Right now, my second husband and I, uh, we were both widowed young and uh, got married about 22 years ago. And... Uh, we both owned our own homes, and that's why we ended up with a big mega house that we're in now. <laughs> what about tracking your expenses? Like, do you keep track of your spending at this stage? Or have we you do. in the past? I, I have in the past, and I've actually been shocked. At one point, I remember realizing how much money we spent on eating out. Mm. 
I was really staggered because nobody should spend that much money <laughs> on going to restaurants. And it, it was done so thoughtlessly. Like, if you want to go and eat out, do it deliberately. Do it, mm-hmm. like, for an occasion. And be aware how much you're spending. Because if you go out and, uh, for two of us, we could easily spend 50 or $60 on dinner. And yet I could feed us for most of the week on that. Yeah. It's the whole idea of conscious consumption. Yeah. It's just, yeah, if you're going to spend money, f- feel free to spend it as long as right. you're doing it as an active decision. Yeah. So on that note, in terms of any guilty pleasures, do you have any that, uh, um, that you're okay spending a little extra money on? Actually, no. I, I, well, wedding dresses. Only <laughs> because when I go to, for example, I go to a Goodwill store uh, or Value Village or Salvation Army. I was in the Salvation Army uh, and I saw this beautiful wedding dress. And they're asking forty dollars for it. Wow! But it had a red wine stain on it. But with um, blue dawn, you can get just about any stain off. I mean, they clean penguins with it. <laughs> so I figured it would get this stain out of the dress. So I put the blue dawn on it, and I soaked it overnight. And then I bought it on a Wednesday. On the Thursday, I washed it and dried it. On the Friday, I put the dress on my mannequin and took pictures, like front, back. Close up of the bodies, and on Saturday I sold the dress for four hundred dollars. Wow, ten wow. x. Yes. <laughs> so buying wedding dresses is my guilty pleasure. Sometimes I sneak them in the house, and I might put them on a mannequin, and my husband will say, "Is that a new dress?" I know I've had that one ages. It's been in the closet, but but it's also making money. Yes, right? that's the job interview like question. It's like, what's your what's your biggest weakness? Oh, I uh, I'm too I'm too hardworking. Like your guilty pleasure is making too much well, money on. <laughs> you know what? It's it's because it's a win win win. I yes. like that. It's a win for the Salvation Army because I bought a dress that someone had donated, so and they got what they're asking for it. The win is that the bride gets to look beautiful on her special day for four hundred dollars. Yes, that was a twelve hundred dollar dress. Yeah, and she looked spectacular in it and I win because I do make some money I did some minor repairs on that dress mm-hmm. and cleaned it up and it looked it looked beautiful and so I, that's what I like to me that's important that it's a win-win-win yeah um that's awesome it's awesome to hear it applied to a scenario like that yeah, yeah. that's also just some fantastic tips for our audience yes. too on how to save money for weddings um and so another reoccurring segment we have here is we'd like to jump over to the subreddit financial independence and so we jumped over there and just found this post by Boss Hog. And the question was, how to answer, so what do you do? So once you reach financial independence or once you retire, how do you answer that question? And any tips for our audience on maybe how they can approach answering the question? I would probably say that we're both retired, but we enjoy volunteering in our community. Uh, we're starting to dabble in real estate because we actually have a house uh, that will be a rental property. We've got that one on the go at the moment. And it's a nice way for us to get our feet wet because we've, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 62, my husband's 68, and we've talked for like 20 years about buying uh, rental <laughs> properties, but it's actually the impetus to do it. And this is a good way for us to get our feet wet. So we just wanted to say thanks for being on the show, Barb. And before we wrap up, we always like to get our guests to ask the audience a question. So... Uh, did you have a question for the audience? I think I'd like to ask people that a couple of things. The first one is, if you're thinking about investing in real estate, ask yourself, why are you holding back? Because of all the things you could invest in, real estate has always been a good um, vehicle 
to make money, and I think it still is and always will be. People always need somewhere to live. And the other one was, do you need as much money as you think you need? In the sense that of the when I worked at the bank, women were going out to work and they were spending money that wasn't necessary. And they could have actually managed on much less money coming into the house had they been a little more careful with what they were spending. Wow. Yeah, I like that. So uh, audience, you can jump over to the London on Fire Facebook group to answer Barb's question there and she'll be keeping an eye on that group, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you jump over to Facebook and answer those questions. And otherwise, uh, Barb, is there anywhere people can find you? So we've mentioned a couple of your websites, but is there a Facebook or Instagram mm -hmm. or anything else you'd like to plug? Yes. Uh, each of my businesses has their own Facebook page. So there is Discover Southern Ontario uh, Facebook page. There's also Wedding Gowns Online Facebook page. And my daughter started a business when she was 15. She's the girl who loves birds and uh, she started the business with a government grant of $3,000 to buy a flock of pigeons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're white pigeons. They're really beautiful. And um, she releases them at weddings and funerals. And they also have their own Facebook page. It's called Love a Dove. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Well, thanks again for, be, for sharing your fascinating story. Yeah, thank you so much. And we'll definitely have to get you back on another time because we didn't even get to cover all your side hustles. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks. That was really great. Barb made me realize that I need to create more streams of income for myself. Before we go, a reminder that Christmas is just around the corner. The best gift that you can give Matt and I is to simply go onto Facebook and share this or any other episode of our podcast. It really does mean a lot to us. As always, you can find us on the London on Fire Facebook group, meetup.com, onfirepodcast.ca. And make sure to tune into our next episode where we interview Jeff Weibo, who shares what may be some of the most interesting life hack ideas. Just a hint, it involves the military. Thanks for listening. And until the next episode, remember, f*** being normal. Buying stuff doesn't make you happy, and always remember what Steve Jobs said. Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You're already naked. There's no reason not to follow your heart.